Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Special welcome to those joining us online. Uh, and a very happy Ascension Day to you. There was a time when Ascension Day was regarded as the fourth of the great days of the church year, along with, can you, do you know the others? I think you're familiar with Christmas, Easter, I think we're kind of gone good territory there, and Pentecost being the, the third one and Ascension Day being the fourth one. Um, but there are many churches that don't even have a service on Ascension Day. Uh, I think the major problem is it doesn't fall at the weekend, which was very untimely of Jesus, uh, if you think about it, not even a special bank holiday. The, uh, the great question about Ascension is, is it a happy day or a sad day? And that might seem strange to those of you particularly versed in choral music, because choral music decided from the very beginning that it's a happy day and we have all trumpets and we all have bang crash and, 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 and happiness, but it's a bit more complex than that. Uh, if you think about it from the disciples' point of view, they'd, they'd, they'd had the distress of the crucifixion, they'd had the joy of Easter, they had 40 days, as Luke tells us, of resurrection appearances, and then he was gone. Was that a happy day? Well, if you, in many ways, it's uh, the Sunday after Ascension is the one Sunday out of the 52 in the year when you're not saying God is with us. You're saying God's gone to make God's own arrangements, uh, and we're on our own. So it's a very poignant day, but it's certainly about the sense of powerlessness. But in the tradition, it's fascinating, particularly in the choral tradition that we're engaging with here, um, two psalms become very, very significantly influential. And that, that's what happens, I guess, in church music, is when the New Testament story doesn't give you all at once, you go and forage around in the Old Testament to see what can back it up. So Psalm 24, lift up your heads, ye gates, uh, that the King of glory may come in, has been sort of adopted as a as an Ascension Day psalm, because it sounds like the King of Glory coming into heaven. Uh, and then Psalm 47, God is gone up, uh, likewise, uh, makes a grand entry of the, the sort of the levitatory parts of the story, if we might call them those. Um, but it's, there's an ambivalence that runs through Ascension Day, and of course that's an ambivalence that's closed off by Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit does come as the comforter that, uh, and the advocate that Jesus has promised. But it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a complex festival in its own ways, and of course, theologically, it's about Jesus having completed his work on earth, and therefore saying, that's all that needs to be done. Theologically, that's wonderful, but in terms of our own experience, there are plenty more things we'd like him to have fixed while he was here that don't seem to feel very fixed right now. So that's, again, the poignancy of the day. Okay, well, it's our tradition at Great Sacred Music to begin with singing a hymn together, we're going to sing. Uh, another thing about Ascension Day is the hymns are very, very long. Uh, um, so uh, we're going to sing a very, very, very long hymn uh, first, written by Charles Wesley, based on the collect for Ascension Day, which I'm sure you can uh, memorize, but I'll just remind you of. Grant, we beseech the Almighty God that, like as we do believe thy only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heavens, so we may also in heart and mind thither ascend and with him continually dwell. Distinguished for being the only collect that uses the word thither, which is a very satisfying word to, to use in a collect. It's a perfect mixture, this hymn, of Methodist vigor and Anglican uh, doctrine. First written for the, uh, the tune was first written for the 
um, first edition of hymns A&M in 1861. We're not actually going to sing all the verses, big sigh. Uh, we're going to sing the first two on here and the last two, five and six. So one, two, five and six. We remain seated. The voices stand and lead us as we sing four verses of Hail the Day. Well, uh, rather remarkably, uh, Henry Purcell's uh, anthem, uh, O God, the King of Glory, is also about a collect. How about that? For the liturgical anoraks out there, this is a very, very wonderful thing. Two, uh, two pieces based around collects. This is the co not the collect of Ascension Day that we've just heard, heard sung. You've picked up the thither in the last verse. Um, this is the Sunday, collect for the Sunday after Ascension. 
with its phrase, leave us not comfortless, appealing to what I was just saying earlier about the poignancy of the Sunday after Ascension, feeling like we're alone in a way that never happens on the other Sundays of the year. So we're going to hear uh, this setting of the Collect by Purcell, and then we're going to hear um, a line from a verse, I should say, from Psalm 149, set by William Bird.
So you saw in those two anthems, those two elements in Ascension Day, the first one much more somber, the second one much more celebratory. And we're going to full-on celebratory now. Uh, and that has the majority with, uh, with what's sometimes called the glorious ascension. But as I've said, there is a sort of a subtext that some of these pieces pick up. Anyway, these two are full-on glory. Uh, another, another bird an anthem based on Psalm 81, full, full of uh, words about feast days and celebration with musical instruments. And then perhaps the classic, uh, or one of the perhaps two classic um, Ascension Day anthems on Psalm 47, this one, Orlando Gibbons, uh, God is gone up, full of reference to power uh, and the sense that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, that famous line often in the funeral service from John 14, I will go and prepare a place for you, the many mansions passage, another one often referred to in the Ascension Tide tradition. These ones, much more muscular Christianity, much more we've won this Let's go out and celebrate kind of, uh, kind of approach to Ascension Day. Let's enjoy these together.
Well, we're going to sing again now, and again we're in uh, full throttle mode here with crown uh, hymn with many crowns. I mentioned earlier that people, when they write hymns about the Ascension, tend to get a little bit carried away. Uh, there's 12 verses to this one. Um, you don't usually get all 12 in most hymn books. We're only going to sing four today. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, too much of a good thing and all that. But uh, the tune, Diadomata, uh, is Greek for crowns, as I'm sure you know. Um, and I guess you probably picked up from my <laughs> opening remarks that I, I think we need to keep that ambivalence uh, in ascension and not just go all through the gung-ho side of ascension that a lot of the the choral music and the hymnody does go for, but it's interesting to pick up some of the imagery in these verses. This is clearly poetry and not just hymnody, if you ever make a difference. But just look in um, verse one of this, if you look on, the, on your sheets on the right-hand page. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Is that a positive image or not? You know, if you're, if you're singing in the voices and this is your career and this heavenly music drowning out everything that you're singing, is that that's quite an aggressive metaphor, uh, I, I find. It's quite, um, I guess if, if it's heavenly music, it couldn't be aggressive, could it? But it's a, I find it quite an ambivalent metaphor. And then we get a wonderful, uh, if you think of the, the language of, for example, and can it be, the, the Wesley hymn, uh, almost echoed here in verse two, uh, no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight. Like you remember that phrase in and can it be, let angel minds inquire no more. It's that sense that the angels, uh, holy as they may be, cannot take in the sheer wonder of, of Jesus's pierced side and, and hands and feet resurrected and in glory. It's so wondrous and merciful and loving and glorious that it's just too much even for the angels to deal with, so it's okay if it's too much for us. It's full of, full of fascination, these verses, even though that the music and the basic theology is, is pretty triumphalist, if truth be told. Anyway, let's enjoy it for what it is. Remain seated, voices stand and lead us. Crown him with many crowns.
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for uh, this Thursday. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, there are various ways to make donations. You can give cash on your way out. You can use the QR code on the back. Uh, you can text. You can use the swipe card that's a uh, swipe machine that's available on your way out. Obviously, slightly limited more, more range of options online, but the generosity, I'm sure, will be even greater. Uh, so, uh, Ascension Tide uh, festivities continue on Sunday. Uh, Choral Classics will be God Has Gone Up, starting at 3.15 here in, in the building. And next week, bringing the changes a little bit, it's a Pentecost theme, Touched by Heavenly Fire, uh, but we're going to give the voices a week off, and the choral scholars will be singing uh, next week. I think on the side of the chocolate box, they say chocolates of equal quality. So do come and enjoy uh, the Pentecost themes of next week. And if you've enjoyed the voices, uh, there'll be another chance to hear them on Saturday evening. Uh, they'll be singing Mozart's Requiem, details on the back of the sheets, tickets available at the box office. Uh, and as you'll have picked up from my open remarks, I think, I think actually Mozart's Requiem is a very fitting uh, theme for the weekend after ascension, so a particularly poignant time to hear that wonderful piece. We're going to finish with Let All the World in Every Corner Sing, a George Herbert's uh, poem, uh, in which it's, a, it's, a, it's, it, it's very much on the, on, the, on the grand scale of things, the whole world. Um, it actually is quite an interesting theological a statement of where is God, God most fully to be known. He starts off with God is, of course, known in heaven. He then moves to, oh, over and over, because of the incarnation, God is fully known on earth. Uh, then he gets all more pious and says, oh, no, no, God is most fully known in the church. And then as a true pietist, he ends up by saying, no, God is most fully known in the human heart. It's a sort of journey through different places where God is made known. Thanks for joining us.